when I have a patient who enters treatment, who's an athlete, I really like thinking about it just like any other injury, right? And and I think it's also important to point out that eating disorders are treatable just like any other injury, right? And you might miss a season, but the vast majority of people, if they get proper treatment, can get back out there and get back to playing at least at the level they were before and often at a higher level than they were before. Welcome everyone to Equipped to Recover, where we explore the intersection of recovery stories and eating disorder science to show you that recovery is not only possible, it's also worth it. I'm Erin Parks. I'm the co-founder and chief clinical officer at Equip Health, and today I'm joined by Dr. Katherine Hill. Dr. Hill is a board-certified pediatrician and eating disorder physician, and she's currently the vice president of medical affairs and care delivery here at Equip. Prior to this role, Dr. Hill was a clinical assistant professor of adolescent medicine at Stanford, caring for adolescents with eating disorders in both inpatient and outpatient settings. Catherine's also a former collegiate swimmer. She's conducted extensive research and clinical experience on eating disorders in athletes. She has a lot of insights to share about how you or your child can navigate recovery in the world of sports, fitness, and athletics. I am so excited that you're here, Dr. Catherine Hill, and I'm excited for you all to hear Catherine and I discuss ways to strengthen, deepen, and navigate recovery in an eating disorder, especially if you like to participate in sports. So welcome, Catherine. It's nice to have you. Awesome. Thank you, Erin. It's good to be here. To start out, let's kind of introduce you even more to our audience. So can you tell us a little bit more about what inspired you to either enter the medical field or enter the eating disorder field? Absolutely. So I first got interested in eating disorders when I was in college. And as you mentioned, I I was on the collegiate swim team um, at my university. So what I noticed is that a a lot of my teammates were struggling with things like restrictive eating, um, compulsive exercise, and body image concerns. A lot of people on my team had lost their menstrual cycles and were told that that was a normal part of being a female athlete, that if you lose your menstrual cycles, that means that you're working really hard and that you're primed to perform at your peak. Now, I was also pre-med at the time and taking human biology courses. And in those courses, I learned some other things that maybe it wasn't normal to not get your period. And so I sort of started looking into the literature at that time. And and at, at least at that point in time, it was thought that only people in certain sports were at risk for eating disorders. So sports like cross country or gymnastics or ballet, uh, sports that really were thought to have a smaller than our body um, improved performance. At that time, it was thought that swimmers were not at risk for eating disorders because they tended to be uh, within, quote, a normal weight range. And we know there's a lot of problems with those sorts of terminologies, but that's kind of what the literature said at that time. I love that you brought up this idea we all have are who are the athletes with eating disorders. I grew up in Minnesota, so it was figure skaters was who had eating disorders or cheerleaders. We have these stereotypes that go with the broader eating disorder stereotype of thin, young, white, skinny women, um, but we know it's much broader than that. So, so tell us what you found out about swimmers having eating disorders. Yes, absolutely. So we did find out that swimmers were at risk for what we refer to at the time as a female athlete triad. Now the criteria has brought into be uh, the term now is red S or uh, relative energy deficiency in sport, which really encompasses all people who may be athletes with an energy deficiency and not just females. But at that time, we found that swimmers did indeed have an increased risk 
of the female athlete triad compared to non-athlete controls. And what that was, what the triad was, was a combination of energy deficiency, sometimes with an eating disorder, sometimes not, just not getting in enough calories, which led to um, problems with your menstrual cycle, which then led to decreased bone density. And so we were able to show that swimmers did indeed have a higher risk, which was new knowledge at that time. I love that. And, you know, it's interesting because the the old myths around which athletes had eating disorders was so focused on appearance, right? That like figure skaters or gymnasts or cheerleaders had to keep their body looking a certain way and thus they were most prone. And I love that this new, I don't know if I want to call it a school of thought, but new research shows us that it's the sports that have this caloric deficit. And I guess in layman's terms, the way I think about it are what are the things that when you do them, you expend so many calories and boy, anything in the water, you definitely spend so many calories. Absolutely. And, you know, I think especially with, well, really any endurance sport, uh, you know, you, even people who are not trying to restrict, if you're a young person who's doing a sport several hours a day, um, it's very likely that you're having a hard time getting in enough food, right? Especially if you're a busy student, finding enough time to get in enough food, particularly for people who are maybe in their adolescence and still growing. Um, we have male athletes who have really high, they probably have the highest caloric requirements of anybody on earth, are growing adolescent male athletes, right? And so it can actually be hard to get in enough food for many people, especially if they're involved in these endurance sports. I love that you're using the word endurance sports and this shift from thinking just about appearance to to the calories spent. And I think about cross country. I think about people that I've treated who played water polo and that they would burn 5,000, 6,000 calories in the pool. And that's an enormous undertaking to make up for this multi-thousand calorie deficit in addition to just what you have to eat to be a growing adolescent. Absolutely. And so what we see in our clinical experience is oftentimes there, um, there isn't an eating disorder. It's unintentional. And it's more about educating that athlete on what their body's needs are. Can you say more about the athletes that you've met who were not intentionally trying to reduce their caloric intake? They weren't affected by their body image and trying to make their body look a different way, but they simply fell into this caloric deficit because of their sport and not being able to refuel properly, what happens after they have ended up in this deficit? What changes did they see both in their body and in their mind? It's very interesting because whether this started with a goal of restricting or perhaps just somebody wasn't educated on what their caloric needs are, if somebody is underfueling their body, they end up with the same medical consequences regardless of what the cause is, right? So um, if somebody is under eating by a good margin every single day, and you know, they've got high energy requirements, they can start to tip into um, a malnourished state. And basically what that can look like is you have changes to things like your heart rate, your heart rate go can go down, your blood pressure lowers, your body temperature lowers. So you may be feeling cold a lot of the time, maybe you feel dizzy when you stand up, particularly in the mornings. Um, a lot of people can also have changes to their GI tract. So they may feel prematurely full or bloated. Even when they're eating a normal size meal, they may have slowing of their intestinal motility. So they might be a little constipated. And that, of course, makes it even harder to eat and get in enough food. So it can be this sort of vicious cycle. Regardless of what the cause is, it looks the same. 
I think that's such an important reminder. And I'd be curious to hear how this presented in pediatrics or adolescent medicine where parents are like, well, wait, my, my kid doesn't have an eating disorder. But you're like, they actually do. Can you talk about what those conversations were like? Yeah. Unfortunately, there's still there's just so much stigma out there, as you know, um, re- related to eating disorders and mental health conditions. And people sometimes are more amenable to hearing that it's a medical condition, but eating disorders are medical conditions, right? So there's a biological basis to them. So I think we need to start to shift the thinking into mental health conditions should not be stigmatized, but also they have real medical consequences. And so we should accept them just like we accept any other medical condition, right? If your kid had cancer, uh, you would go and seek proper treatment and buy into it and trust your doctors and things like that. And the same is true for a mental health condition as well. Um, so I think it's just shifting the, the stigma in society and speaking openly about these issues and how common they are and that they really truly affect, it can infect any population. It's not just this than white girls. It's interesting. I think about some parents that I work with who had spent sometimes a year like with GI doing workups, really wanting it to be a medical condition. And I think sometimes we have better treatments for eating disorders than we do for some GI syndromes or conditions that are still amorphous and not a lot is known about them. So um, it doesn't need to be this horrible thing to be diagnosed with an eating disorder as opposed to a quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes here for those listening, medical condition. I love what you said, Dr. Hill, eating disorders are a medical condition. How common are eating disorders in sports and with athletes, do you think? Yeah, you know, we're still trying to nail down the exact prevalence, but what we know is they really can and do affect people in any sport. It is not just those quote unquote leanness sports that we used to think were the only people who got eating disorders. And that's one of the interesting things that we saw in the research study that I was a part of is we surveyed not just females, but but anybody. And what we found is that um, some of our male athletes actually had higher eating disorder rates than even some of the female athletes. So um, and, and it was somewhat surprising. Sports like baseball actually had a higher than expected rate of eating disorders, things that you wouldn't necessarily expect. And so I think it's just important that we keep in mind that no matter what sport you may be involved in, there is a risk there. I also like to point out that sometimes sports can actually be protective against eating disorders if there's the right environment, right? So if you've got a coach who's really instilling the right messages and the right values and things like that, um, and and it really is a, a nurturing sort of environment that the, the sport is instilling, I think you know, it can it can actually be protective against things like body image concerns and can be a positive experience as well. So it just depends on the overall context and uh, and also the level of sport that somebody's in. I like that reminder. When I think of all of the athletes that uh, we have treated at Equip, we've had soccer players and basketball players and baseball players and lacrosse players. And uh, truly, there's no sport that's left out. And it reminds me of the neurobiological research on eating disorders that sometimes people with eating disorders have these set of temperament traits, like being excellent at focusing on a goal or having altered interoceptive awareness, which is a fancy word for maybe being able to play through pain or not noticing hunger. And so it makes sense that the same traits that make someone prone to an eating disorder could also make someone prone to being a pretty awesome athlete. Is that what you've seen? Absolutely. And I love that you brought that up because, um, yes, the sorts of things that make you a star athlete, you know, pushing through the pain, like you mentioned, or um, being perfectionistic and wanting to 
be an overachiever and always pushing the envelope to try to achieve more and more. Also make somebody potentially predisposed to developing an eating disorder. And we know that. Um, and so that's one of the reasons I love working with young people with eating disorders is they're fabulous people, right? They go on to do some really amazing things once you can get them over that, that eating disorder. Let's talk about what recovery looks like when you are an athlete. And you made a reference to all of the great things that athletics and being on a team and being part of a sport, how it can be a protective factor as well. So how do you recover as an athlete, especially if you really identify and love your sport and your team? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's really tough because especially at the higher levels of athletics, becoming an athlete is really part of your whole identity, right? Uh, if you were to ask me back in high school, how do I identify? I would say, oh, I'm a swimmer, right? That was part of my core identity. And if somebody were to take that away from me, you know, that would feel really, really bad. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes when somebody is in an active eating disorder, we do have to pull sports away from them for safety reasons until they're in a better place medically and behaviorally. So most people we can get there, of course, we love for them to be able to do the things they like to do as long as they're safe to do so. Uh, but that is part of kind of the treatment process. And, you know, I think it can be hard as a parent to know, is this sport causing my child harm, right? Or is this something that's a really positive thing for them? And sometimes those lines can be a little bit blurry. It can depend a lot on the overall team environment, the messages that they're getting, both from family, uh, as well as from coaches, as well as from teammates. Um, and there's also just a lot of misinformation out there available for athletes. I'm thinking on, you know, TikTok or social media on what somebody's caloric requirements are. Uh, and I, I like to tell a story that I, I gave a talk to a, a competitive swim team a few years back and asked them, what do you think your caloric needs are? And the number they gave me was about half or 50% of what their actual caloric requirements would be. And so I, I think it just goes to show that, you know, sometimes people can have the best of intentions and just be far off, you know, from where their needs actually are. Mm -hmm. And is there, as a non-athlete, <laughs> do you feel like there is a, a myth out there that underfueling or being at a lower weight increases performance? So certainly that does exist. And I think it has to do more with the, um, the quote, ideal body type of certain sports. And, you know, I think there's this perception that leaner is better in almost any sports. And, you know, I, I don't actually think that's true. If you look at athletes at the top levels of performance in virtually any sport, there's a wide range of body types that can make it to the top, right? And, you know, it actually does hurt your athletic performance is, is not having fuel in your system to be able to perform. So, that's, that's something that we often work with athletes a lot on is, you know, you need to fuel your tank uh, if you want to perform at your best, right? And just because you don't look like that person over there doesn't mean you can't be a great athlete. I don't want to put you on the spot, so it's okay to say no to this. Um, I've heard a lot of people talking about this crew study, this rowing study that came out of, I want to say, Australia. Can you tell the audience a little bit about what that study was about and what they found? Yes, absolutely. I think it may have been New Zealand, um, but this was the, the national team for the women's crew team. And what they found was that prior to the intervention, a lot of women on the crew team were having irregular men menstrual cycles. They weren't getting their periods regularly. Um, they were in 
what we call this energy deficient state where they were not eating enough in order to fuel their bodies for all the proper hormone production as well as for performance. And their performance was was really hindered by that. Um, and so they basically started to meet with dietitians and, and learn what their bodies needed. And by restoring that energy balance so that they are now eating enough, they started getting their periods back and their performance improved too. So I think that's just one example of a, a clinical research study, but we certainly have examples of this in our clinical practice too, where you know, if somebody starts to fuel their body appropriately, they can see big gains in performance uh, on the athletic field. It makes sense that sometimes people have to hit pause for their sport when they are diagnosed with an eating disorder or, or when we recognize that there's this caloric imbalance that is physically or mentally harming them. I like thinking about it similar to any other athletic injury. Um, I'm kind of new to the world of kids' sports and have noticed parents talking on the sideline about maybe their older kid who had a, who tore their ACL or another child who's having some issues with their growth plates and the ways in which you have to sometimes hit pause on sports for a wide variety of reasons. But I think that our culture more accepts hitting pause on sports because you tore your ACL than because you have a caloric imbalance. Can you say a little bit about how this is also a sports injury and, and the idea of thinking about it that way? Yeah, absolutely. And as I said, it can be hard to be sidelined for any reason, right? Whether that's due to an eating disorder or caloric imbalance or whether it's due to an injury. I really like thinking about it just like any other injury, right? And and I think it's also important to point out that eating disorders are treatable just like any other injury, right? And you might miss a season, but the vast majority of people, if they get proper treatment, can get back out there and get back to playing at least at the level they were before. And oftentimes, as we talked about, maybe even at a higher level than they were before. So when I have a patient who enters treatment who's an athlete, I never give up hope that they won't be able to go to their sport if that's what they want to do, right? And that's something that we can work towards together. And in some ways, um, having somebody have those sorts of goals, those sorts of athletic uh, aspirations can be really helpful in eating disorder treatment too, because oftentimes patients can be really motivated to get back to the things they love to do. I know that this is a change um, from how the field used to approach it. I know a, couple, a decade or more ago it was, if you're an athlete and you have an eating disorder, you never get to play your sport again. And there's been a great shift to recognizing how important it is physically, psychologically, social development-wise to return to your sport. Can you give us an example with the patient of what that looks like? How do you return to sport following an eating disorder? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, well, as you know, at Equip, we've taken a more balanced approach to return to activity. And this is for all patients, not just for patients who are who self-identify as athletes. We really felt, and the data is now showing that an all or nothing approach is really not great, right? We need to be teaching our patients how can uh, activity and movement be a part of your life in a way that's sustainable, in a way that's not contributing to worsening eating disorder symptoms or creating injuries. You know, this should be something that you learn how to do and can do in a sustainable way for the rest of your life and be able to do any activity you want to do within reason, right? So looking out for signs of compulsive exercise is important. So if you are working out when you're really sick, if you're never taking a day off from exercise or working out when you're injured, um, you know, these might be signs that exercise maybe has become a little compulsive for you, right? And you may need to 
to kind of take a step back and and work with your your team to figure out how can how can this activity be um, helping me and a positive influence in my life rather than something that is harmful. Yes, I was talking with a kiddo um, a couple of weeks ago who had someone on her team had torn an ACL and she was recovering from an eating disorder and she said you know, hey, my friend who tore her ACL has to do all these stretches before we get on the soccer field that the rest of us don't have to do. And I am in recovery from an eating disorder, so I have to eat two energy bars before getting on the soccer field and the rest of my peers don't have to do that. That There's just different things that we have to do to adapt to our bodies and our genetics and any injuries that we've had. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that analogy um, of comparing, you know, being sidelined for an eating disorder to being sidelined by an injury. I think we should think about things very similar ways and everybody has different needs, as you said. So I, I think that's a good way of looking at it. And maybe for some people, nutrition is their their version of physical therapy, right? I know that you mentioned a few signs that an athlete may be struggling with disordered eating and I think especially for those of us who either are teammates and are looking at uh, other people on our team or who are parents who are spending all weekend at soccer tournaments, baseball tournaments, what have you, what are some signs that an athlete may be struggling? Yeah. And I like that you mentioned teammates as well, because oftentimes it may be the teammates who notice before anybody else that something is up. You know, oftentimes with sports, particularly once you get to a certain level, maybe you're traveling to competitions and eating together as a team, it may be the teammates that may notice first that somebody isn't fueling their body appropriately, right? They just had a big three-hour tournament and they are eating a, a salad with iceberg lettuce and no dressing, right? That might be a red flag for somebody. And certainly if there's any significant changes to somebody's intake, nutritional intake. So if they seem to be eating less or cutting out certain types of foods, you know, I think athletes often, um, you hear about, oh, well, this athlete cut out this food group and they perform better. And so you think, oh, well, maybe if I cut out that food group, I'll perform better too. So oftentimes it's really good intentions that can lead to a further restricting of somebody's diet. But in general, we like to think and what we see in practice is that the broader uh, an athlete's diet and the more able they are to to fuel their body, the the better their performance is in the end. Um, so that's one sign with regards to what eating might look like for somebody who's struggling. You know, if somebody is finishing a practice or a game and then going to exercise more, that all, might also be a sign. And that's something we see with athletes in particular is this risk of the compulsive exercise that we talked about a bit earlier. It's so hard because that's also a behavior that can get praised. They're so dedicated to their sport that they train extra. They work out extra. How do you counteract that argument that that's just a good, dedicated athlete? Right. And it's so hard because, as you know, it's just so prevalent in our society to think that more exercise is always better. And that's not actually the case, right? You know, it was Hippocrates, I believe, who said everything in moderation. And I think that is actually a very good very wise point that even exercise in too high of a dose can be harmful in many ways, psychologically, as well as um, medically, it increases risk of things like injury or overtraining syndrome and burnout and things like that. So, um, so yeah, I think it's just important to keep that in mind. Many of our listeners are athletes in high school or in college. And as you pointed out, they might be the first to notice that one of their teammates is struggling. 
when you think back about you being on the swim team and looking around and and maybe worrying about some of your teammates, what have you tried and what advice do you give for people who might want to say something to their teammate? Now, I think it's important to realize that people may be at different stages of recognizing if they have an eating disorder and accepting if they have an eating disorder or not. You know, it's it's always good to have them, you know, be one-on-one and and address some of the objective things that you've seen. Like I have noticed, you know, you're you've cut out several food groups or I have noticed that you're exercising after your practices every night. What's going on with that? And ask open-ended questions in a private setting and really see what they say. Some people may not be ready to talk about it um, and, you know, say, well, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Other people may be more open and say, yeah, you know, this has been a struggle for me. And that might be your your window. Uh, It's always good to ask for permission. Is it okay if I talk to the coach about this? And hopefully you're in a setting where your coach is supportive about these things. If you are a high school athlete or a a young person who's not an adult, asking permission to inform their family about it, I think can be helpful. And then they can make sure that person's taken to the appropriate uh, people to to get assessed. Uh, A memory that I had completely forgotten about, honestly, until we started this conversation, Catherine, is when I was in junior high, two of my teammates, Michelle and Shelly, I still remember, called my mom to tell them they were worried about my behavior at a team lunch. And I obviously was upset with Michelle and Shelly. And I was incredibly glad that my mother started asking questions and helping me get the help that I need. And it's just, uh, it's nice to reflect back. As adults now, we don't get to spend as much time with with teams in the same way. But like the the important and special bonds that happen on teams really make you have perhaps an outsized impact for 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 bad if you're suggesting eliminating a food group or for good if you're pointing out you don't seem as happy now that you're doing three workouts a day. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that. And I think that's an example too of, you know, in the moment, you may not have been thrilled with your friends for bringing it up. But now looking back in retrospect, I'm sure you're really grateful to them that they brought that up, right? And so it can be really hard if you feel like your friendship or your teammate bond is going to um, be affected by raising a concern about an eating disorder. But at the end of the day, you know, I think it's always the right thing to do if you feel like you have that relationship with that person. Well, Catherine, it has been such a pleasure having you here. And before we end, uh, we'd like to do this kind of rapid fire question round. So I'm going to say a statement and just finish the statement with your first thought. Connection is? Uh, The ability to form a meaningful relationship with another human. Body image is? Being able to feel comfortable in your body with the way it looks and the way it feels. Diet culture is? extremely ubiquitous in our in our everyday society and something that is worth fighting against. And the last question, recovery is? Recovery is something that I um, have every hope, every single one of my patients are is going to be able to achieve someday. What words of wisdom would you like to leave our listeners, especially those recovery warriors who are going into battle with their eating disorders every single day? Yeah. Um, Well, kind of getting to uh, what I said a moment ago about recovery, 
you know, I think even if this feels like the darkest moment of your life, and I know for many of you, this may be the darkest moment of your life, eating disorders are treatable. They are not something that necessarily needs to stick with you for, your for the rest of your life, right? This is something you absolutely can recover from. I couldn't work in this field if I didn't have hope that my patients were going to go on to recover. Um, the vast majority of them do, particularly if they're able to access the right kinds of treatment that works. Right. So I think if you are in those darkest days, just know you can and, and absolutely will get back to the things you like to do. Um, if you're an athlete out there who's been pulled from your sport because of your eating disorder, as one example, I have every hope you can get back to doing that sport if that's what you want to be doing with your life. I love that. How can all of our listeners stay in touch with you, Catherine? Yeah. Well, um, you can find me on Twitter at Catherine Hill MD. Send me a tweet. Um, I'm also you know, available on the Equip website as well. So uh, just let me know. You can shout out if there's anything you want addressed or answered, and I'd be more than happy to answer your questions. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time today and for all the incredible work you've put out into the world to be a voice for recovery. I so appreciate what you do and the difference that you're making. It is very needed. And thank you so much for being with us today, Catherine. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Equip to Recover. Remember, recovery is not only possible, it is worth it. Find out more about Equip and how you can access treatment that works over at equip.health.